0: This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America.
1: Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Damme and here's what's coming up.
2: I want to help people and uh, nearest place to my house is here, Kadiköy place. And I will come here and my friends will come here.
1: That's Ali John Kochak, one of the volunteers who lives far from Turkey's earthquake devastation and is sending supplies to help. Also, Nigeria's top three presidential candidates hold their first major campaign rallies. Access to social media has been blocked in Ethiopia amid a rift in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And we talked to a young black American filmmaker who has launched a three-part documentary series on black-owned businesses. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. February is Black History Month here in the United States, and all month long we're featuring historians, authors, and entrepreneurs. In the studio is Nathan Araya with me, an entrepreneur and a filmmaker based in Austin, Texas, who has a documentary series out right now called the Black Startup Series. It's about a successful black-owned business founder and other founders around the country. Sounds like quite an interesting concept for a documentary series. Nate, and thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about how you came across this idea and about some of the people that you feature in the series.
3: Absolutely. Thank you for having me on this program. So, As a filmmaker and entrepreneur, I've had the opportunity to travel the world. And in that process, I've come across some interesting um, concepts and ideas. I've seen a surplus of talent within our global black community, but a scarce access to opportunity. So I created a documentary series that actually provides access to a diverse number of inspiring stories of representation that people within my community can see ourselves in.
1: And what's your ultimate goal with telling the stories of these Black American startups?
3: Yeah, the goal is to be able to look at ways where we can ignite clarity and conversation around financial literacy within our global Black community. Uh, these individuals that are within the, fi- the film project are great, successful entrepreneurs that reveal the development of their business and the process of what, they, what it actually took for them to attain great success.
1: I, I imagine that it's also about, you know, showing young people hey, you know, if I can do this, you can do this.
3: Absolutely. Before anyone could do great things, it's important that we see the greatness within ourselves. So the idea is if they can be able to see a bit of themselves within these stories, my hope for this Film and Financial Literacy uh, tour is for individuals to really be able to implement great ideas, business concepts so that they can reach their maximum potential.
1: And and are you in talks right now with any of the big streaming platforms at this point?
3: Absolutely. We're doing uh, some screenings at various amount of places. Some of them include Amazon, Harvard University, University of Texas, and some more that are kind of in the talks. So uh, things are going great, and I'm excited to be a part of this film and financial literacy tour.
1: And what about your upcoming screenings? Do you have any lined up over the next few weeks or months?
3: Absolutely. So this uh, coming Friday, we actually have a film and financial literacy debut of our screening at the Capital Factory in Austin, Texas, which is the leading hub of entrepreneurship in Texas. So I'm really excited about this. My guest speaker is someone that's featured in the documentary, Kobla Tate, who is CEO and founder of Break the Box, which is a home ownership empowerment program that helps young black entrepreneurs and professionals gain home ownership.
1: That sounds wonderful. Well, thanks for coming in, Nate. Thank you for having me. That was Nate Araya. He's an entrepreneur and filmmaker from Austin, Texas. Nigeria's government is challenging a Supreme Court order that suspended Friday's deadline for the phase-out of old currency notes, saying it lacks jurisdiction. The issue of when the old currency becomes invalid has turned into a significant issue as Nigeria prepares for elections a little more than two weeks away. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria.
0: Party! Thousands of supporters, mostly youths, chant praise in the capital for presidential candidate Peter Obi. Obi is riding a wave of momentum after two public opinion polls published by Nigerian newspapers this week showed him leading the candidates from Nigeria's two biggest political parties, the All-Progressives Congress, APC, and the People's Democratic Party, PDP. Obi rose to prominence last May after resigning from the PDP to join the Labour Party as its presidential flag-bearer. He tells his supporters he will tackle Nigeria's insecurity, build up the economy, and improve local manufacturing to limit Nigeria's dependence on foreign products. Your country in the past 20 years, all it has produced is insecurity, poverty,
4: other school children, students' strike. Everything
0: that is wrong is what they've been producing. We are offering you security of life and property. This, this, uh, the things of the criminals are no more formidable. Except that there's no leadership. You'll be proud of your country because your country will move from consumption to
4: production.
0: Obi, Abubakar, and Tinubu are all traveling the country in a push for votes ahead of Election Day, February 25th. In the campaign speeches, insecurity is a major topic. The country is battling jihadist fighters in the northeast armed gangs in the northwest and central regions, as well as separatists in the south. During a camping rally Thursday in northern Kano State, PDP candidate Atiku Bubakar spoke to supporters. Do you want the return of peace in Kano? Yes. Now, do you want the borders open? Yes. It is only PDP administration that can implement these four key policy issues. I want to appeal to you to vote PDP from top to bottom. We have done that before. We shall do it again. Atiku 76 lost a presidential bid to current president Muhammadu Buhari in 2019. Kelechi Onyenze attended the Kano State rallies for the PDP. Who else has the experience this man has gotten? Even in the
4: business sector, in the private sector, is an entrepreneur. He's an employer of labor.
0: Atiku has created wealth. He has employed so many youth. He has discovered talent. This week, President Buhari led campaign events to rally support for APC candidate Bola Ahmed Tinubu. Tinubu has pledged to continue Buhari's policies on tackling insecurity, fighting corruption, creating jobs, and upgrading the standard of education. Though critics from the other parties say Buhari failed on all those fronts. The recent violence has included attacks on officials from Nigeria's Independent National Electoral Commission, raising concerns about safety on election day. Authorities say they're taking steps to make sure voters and election workers are safe and that the voting will proceed without disruption. Timothy Ubezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
1: In the aftermath of Turkey's devastating earthquakes, there is growing desperation among survivors in that country and Syria and increasing anger over Turkey government's response. But as the death toll passes 22,000, many across the country are mobilizing with opposition mayors to help. It's happening even in places that were not hit, like Istanbul, where Dorian Jones reports.
5: All through the night, people in Turkey's main city bring supplies for earthquake survivors. Two wedding halls are now distribution centres for aid donated from across the city. Elif Polat is a salon manager and is now in charge of sending aid to Quake
6: survivors.
5: (laughs) She said we opened the wedding halls the first morning. There is incredible help coming from everywhere. The aid is mostly food, blankets and duvets, as well as hygiene goods, diapers, an incredible amount of goods all in first quality. Hundreds of volunteers work through the night. For some, the motivation is personal. One of those volunteers is Ali Can Kochak. Uh,
2: because my parents live in Adana and my friends in Antakya, where the earthquake hits the uh, ground, uh, and I can not go to the, uh, this place, uh, those place, and I want to help uh, people. And the uh, nearest place to my house is here, Kadiköy uh, uh, place. And I will come here and my friends will come here.
5: The relief effort is being coordinated by Istanbul Mayor Ekrem Imamoglu from the opposition CHP party. He has provided trucks and the use of city buildings for the relief efforts. Imamoglu visited the disaster area, where he sent search and rescue teams from Istanbul. Ankara's mayor, also a member of the opposition, sent workers to rebuild one of the airports in the quake-stricken region. Such efforts come as the government faces growing criticism from survivors that its response is too slow, a charge officials deny. There was similar criticism in 1999 over the İzmit quake just outside Istanbul, which claimed more than 18,000 lives. Memories of that disaster are still fresh in the minds of some survivors and motivation to help in this latest crisis. Yilmaz, who only wanted to give his first name, remembers. He said, I experienced the 1999 Izmit earthquake. We lived through that disaster. It was extremely hard for us. Now I saw this earthquake, I relived those moments. That's why I couldn't sit at home and drink tea. I wanted to rush here and offer help. Diapers, antiseptic cologne and other sanitary products are priority items as Istanbul comes together to help, says wedding hall manager Elif Polat. She said, from the oldest to the youngest, there is an incredible unity here. We ask ourselves, how can we reach all those people in the quake-hit areas? I can see an immense sorrow in everyone's eyes. Are they getting strength and tenacity from this sadness. A truck-filled to bursting point is off to the disaster region, bringing help and hope to the millions of people in need. Doreen Jones for VOA News, Istanbul.
1: You're listening to Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For more information on these and other stories from the continent, check out voaafrica.com. There you will find all your favorite radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. For world news, check out voanews.com. Chris Murphy, chairman of the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Subcommittee on Near East South Asia, says the shockingly low turnout in parliamentary elections in Tunisia suggests that the people have lost faith in the process and the direction that President Saied is taking in the country. Some 66 Tunisian civil society organizations, parties, and political figures voiced their full support for the powerful labor union UGTT in its protest yesterday against Saeed's policies. Mongi Daoudi, president of the Tunisian United Network, discussed with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shinaoui whether that could push Tunisians to rise up against the president.
2: In part, Tunisians are already rising against Qaysaïd. We have seen these protests in the streets increase in number, increase in the size, increase in terms of the different political parties and civil society who are supporting it. These are major political organizations who are opposed to Qaysaïd based on his political agenda, based on him taking basically all the state institutions. However... Haïs is also failing not only in politics, but also he's failing in the economics. And, and therefore, the Tunisian people are hurting. They're not having enough essential goods on the shelves to buy. Inflation is at record numbers. And so the question is, will the people rise to demand a solution to the political crisis? Or will the regular common Tunisian rise to demand the Qais does something about the economy. And so if those two what Tunisians call the two streets a political democratic street that's asking for political solutions. And the regular folks, what they call the social street, will those two streets come together? And if they do, then we are definitely going to see the kind of rising that you're talking about against Qaysaid. Monica Mark, professor of Middle East politics at New York University and an expert
4: on Tunisia, said Qaysaid looks likely to remain in power, at least in the short term. And Tunisia's economy Economy, which has been in trouble for some time, will continue to struggle. What is the way out of the political
2: and the economic crisis in Tunisia? If we look at the political players, whether they are political parties or major civil society organizations like the UGTT, the largest labor union organization probably in the region, will those come together and create an alternative to Qaisa Saeed? If that happens, then coupled with the demands that we are seeing from the international community chief among them the u.s and you just uh, quoted senator chris murphy demanding that no help and no aid goes to tunisia until kaysaid goes back to democracy practically so if those elements come together then that is the way out and that's maybe that will be enough pressure on Said himself to decide that he has no way out except to sit down and open a dialogue with all these different political parties and uh, NGOs. That is the way out. And as a matter of fact, the UGTT, the labor union and others have been calling on Qaysayyad to open a dialogue with others. And he keeps ignoring those calls. So now we have seen this past week and actually only two days ago, the UGTT is kind of reminding us of the role that the UGTT played with other civil society organizations during the 2013 crisis and that facilitated a dialogue that we saw the, the produce a consensus around the constitution of 2014. So would UGTT play that role again? That's for us to wait and see. They already dropped kind of like the the framework of this dialogue that they envision. And we saw several kind of support and nods from various political organizations and other civil society organizations supporting this direction. The big question is, will Qay Syed finally come to the table and negotiate a deal out of this mess? It seems from what we've seen so far that he is not able or he doesn't want to go that route. But would there be enough pressure from the inside and outside, to actually force him and make probably the military or the security forces finally stop backing him and pull the rugs from underneath him. And at that time, I think he has no way out of this except to resign and call for an early election.
1: That is Mongi Daoudi, president of the Tunisian United Network. He was speaking with my colleague, Mohamed El-Shinawi.
6: The Voice of America is honoring World Radio Day recognizing the important role radio plays in engaging, educating, and informing diverse communities across the globe. Radio remains one of the most trusted and used media in the world, helping to influence ideas, open dialogue, and shape public opinion. The Voice of America is proud to be part of that process, This year's theme is Radio and Peace, focusing on radio's ability to help moderate conflict and promote peace.
1: You're listening to VOA News. Access to social media has been blocked in Ethiopia and schools were closed on Friday amid a dispute within the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. The church's patriarch met today with Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. Reuters says protests recently took place in the Omaria region when three church officials declared themselves archbishops and set up their own governing body. The move led to demonstrations between those who support and those who oppose the move. Thirty people have been killed in protests so far since February 4th. The social media watchdog NetBlocks says the ban on social media has restricted Facebook, Messenger, TikTok and Telegram. The church is calling for protests on Sunday, which the government has banned in what it calls an effort to prevent violence. Reuters reports that Islamic extremists have killed at least 16 security forces in an ambush in northern Burkina Faso. The attack took place on Wednesday near the village of Kuzmestenga in Namantenga. Sources told Reuters that seven gendarmes and nine members of a volunteer defense force were killed. The army hasn't commented on the attack. This week, the medical charity Doctors Without Borders suspended its operations in northwest Burkina Faso after armed gunmen killed two of its employees. Cameroon has announced it is restricting its border with Equatorial Guinea in an effort to prevent the spread of an unknown illness that causes hemorrhagic fever. Equatorial Guinea says that 10 people died over the past week from the illness in the district of Nsak Somo in Kientem province. Authorities say another 10 people have died in villages elsewhere in that province. Reuters says their symptoms include fever, weakness, vomiting, blood, and diarrhea. Some patients have recovered with mild treatment. A medical team has been sent to isolate contact cases and take samples for testing in a regional lab of the World Health Organization. Sensation. Cameroon's health minister says there is a risk of the illness crossing borders. However, he added that at the current stage, there is no reason to be worried.
4: VOA, V-O-A Africa is your trusted source for news, sports, entertainment and music. Stay engaged with VOA Africa. We love to hear your voice. Call us 24-7 on WhatsApp and leave a message. Leave comments, requests or greetings. We may play your message on VOA Africa. Dial the international code, plus one, then 202-258-3076. VOA Africa is always happy to hear your voice. The number again is... The international code plus one, then two zero two two five eight three zero seven six.
1: And that wraps it up for this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Muckville Yabro, and our engineer, Helen Kurdian, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.
5: Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
6: The United States and its partners in the Global Coalition to Defeat ISIS are focused on preventing a resurgence of the terror group in Iraq and Syria. They are also acutely aware of the danger ISIS is posing elsewhere, including in sub-Saharan Africa. According to the 2022 Global Terrorism Index, sub-Saharan Africa has emerged as the global epicenter of terrorism. Over the past year, the region has accounted for 48 percent of global terrorism deaths. As U.S. Senior Advisor for Special Political Affairs Jeffrey De Laurentiis noted at a U.N. Security Council briefing, ISIS and al-Qaeda affiliates continue to exploit Africa's long-simmering conflicts to bolster their illicit activities, providing them with heightened lethality. That lethality was on tragic display earlier this year in two attacks in the DRC. On January twenty-second, at least 23 people were killed in an attack in the village of Makugwe, in northern Kivu province, ISIS-DRC, also known as the Allied Democratic Forces or ADF, claimed responsibility. On January 15th. the same group exploded a bomb in a Pentecostal church in the city of Kassindi, leaving at least 14 people dead and wounding dozens. According to the United Nations, the ISIS-DRC is one of the deadliest Islamic State affiliates in Africa. Since April 2022, it is responsible for the killing of at least 370 civilians and the abductions of several hundreds more. The U.S. State Department designated the group as an Islamic State affiliate and foreign terrorist organization in 2021. At a press briefing, State Department spokesperson Ned Price deplored ISIS's despicable activity. We have consistently condemned ISIS DRC for the cowardly attacks, bombings that they've carried out against the civilian population in this part of the DRC, he said. The fact that they would attack a church makes what they have done even more dastardly and contemptible. To counter ISIS in Central Africa, The United States has imposed sanctions on ISIS-DRC leaders and financiers. It is also working with African partners on governance, development and security, underscoring what White House Homeland Security Advisor Liz Sherwood-Randall told the UN Security Council in November. A successful counterterrorism strategy in Africa must always be built on and led by citizens of the countries that we are working to support. The United States, she said, stands with the African governments and the African people who are confronting this threat every day
5: that was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government